first Bible reading this morning is a verse from Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Do two walk together except that they make an appointment and have agreed? And our second reading is from Ephesians 4 verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Well, good morning, folks. All right, now this is where it came from. Mark actually is, run, is running a, um, an alpha course at Mansfield at the moment. That's our son. And he said that you couldn't have, you couldn't have paid someone to say this to him. But at the end of the first alpha course, they, at the first uh, session, um, a few people came back to talk to them. And they said this. They said, oh, we've become so negative about church, we've grouped Jesus in with the negativity about the church. Isn't that astounding? He said, you almost couldn't pay for a bit of comment. And I noticed when Jess and Josh were leading that song, Sorry for All That We've Made It. And sometimes I reckon we make church something that is never meant to be. And in fact, what we've just been talking about now is more like what it should be, that we just share what God is doing in our lives. And somehow that gives everybody a bit of encouragement to go a step further and do something a bit different. Last time we were here, we talked about something um, and that was that so often we are inclined to accept second best. We were talking about Moses saying, saying to the Lord, listen, don't send us up from here unless you go with us because what else will, will separate us from anybody else on the face of the earth unless your presence is with us? And we sometimes think and we, we choose second best because what God offered Moses was a pretty darn good second best. He said, you can have angels, you can have the promised land, you can have, you know, all my protection. And Moses said, hang on a minute, that's second best. We don't want second best. And so we've been talking a bit about those sorts of things, all right? And C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance at all. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. That's a good quote, isn't it? He also said this. He said, there's two kinds of people... Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your own way. And that's sort of true in a way, isn't it? We sort of do that. We know that if we are insistent on doing it a certain way, God eventually says, oh, okay, have it your way, and he just lets us go about business until we end at the end of the rope, and then we turn around and maybe come back again. All right, I want to talk to you about a comment that... Uh, that or a conversation that Sam and I had, our youngest son. And it came from this. It came from the fact, uh, talking about understanding and modifying our practice because of what we talked about last, last time. And last time we said this, that Erlo Stegen, some of you won't know this, but we were, we were referring to a, a book where a bloke ended up having a bit of a revival in his life and in his church and one of the things that started that revival was that they started a Bible study and they were particularly looking to find out whether their lives lined up with what the Bible said. And that's the thing that they were particularly trying to do. And so we said that it did, it did alter our practice. Our practice changed and so we made sure that it was real and we were talking to the Lord and we, over the period of time we've been here, we talked about putting our spiritual antenna up, you know, a bit like my favourite Martian. So you have this spiritual antenna coming up and, th and detecting where God was working. That's the thing. So that we always had real and current encounters with God and that we could actually say about something about them and talk about them like we have. And it also changed why we sing. We don't just sing because of the music. We're actually singing to the Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. 
and sing to him rather than about him. I noticed Josh and Jesh, most of the songs that you choose are singing to him rather than about him. Did you notice that? No, all right, you didn't notice it, but that's in fact what we did. And we used to sing, and what was that song again? You know that great song, He is exalted, the Lord is exalted on high. We changed all that. We said, Oh Lord, you are exalted as King, we exalt you on high. And we changed all that singing so that we actually demanded of ourselves that we we're actually talking to Him rather than about Him. All right, so this conversation came out. We, when someone's dying, it makes you think about a lot of things. And so we had a lot of time to sit and consider when, with Anne's mum sort of passing away. And this is a couple of things that you would want to make sure that you understand. She was in a position where it's too late to modify anything about her life. She can't make changes. She can't uh, make restitution. She can't um, impress people. She has done her bit. Mind you, she'll, she's done very well. It'll be okay. But we thought of that quite well, quite a bit. And we'd want to make sure that if we are in a position still to change things, to modify things, to make things right, We've still got the opportunity. We want to get out and do it. We want to make sure that we line up our lives with what the Bible talks about. And so I was talking to Sam about this, and we were saying to one another, saying, is there anything in, there in your life that truly you have just let slip in? You know it's not quite godly. You know it's not quite biblical. But you still let it slip in, and you're, you're comfortable with it. All right? Now, money came up. We talked a bit about money. But truly, money wasn't our biggest problem. Relationships were. And this is what we said. We said that there's definitely people within our life where our relationships are still not as good as they should be or that we maybe should go back and fix them up. And these are the sorts of things we said that we'd, we sometimes do. This is my younger son and me talking about it. He's telling me as much as I'm telling him about this. So there's some people who you just drop them off and you avoid them. Uh, you look for the worst in them when you're talking about them. You criticise them. You held an offence that you shouldn't be holding on to. But it's the cut and thrust of life. Those sorts of things come up and you allow yourself to get away with all of that, don't you? And really, when we, it made me think of a couple of other things. There's a bit of a proverb that said this, the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. Have you ever heard of that before? The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. And so we actually discard someone as, as of no worth, not even worth hating them. That's the sort of thinking that we're talking about. And so often we can slip into that. Holding a grudge, we were, in, we were having a meal in a little, little cafe that was so tight we couldn't help but read the walls, and was on the walls was something like this. Holding a grudge is like letting someone live rent-free in your head. Now, we know we've seen, we've heard similar things along those lines, but we were really, really impressed with that. And when Anne and I started talking about this, one of the things that slightly unsettles us and sometimes that we drift into is that we like the institution of the church just as much as we like, or even more than, we like the Lord of the church. Now, what I mean by that is that I'm looking around here, I'm in the middle of it. You're in the middle of a group of people who are just downright nice people, okay? The best of the lot. If you wanted to choose people to spend your life with, then you'd choose it. You're safe, you know that the moral compass is good, the moral boundaries are good, you know that there's all of those sorts of things that you just love. And so it is very nice and easy to be a Christian in a lot of ways and you, you want to sort of enjoy that. And so sometimes we're satisfied with that rather than pursuing 
the Lord of all that. And sometimes that's the case. And again, some of your songs were saying that very thing this morning, you know, we're sorry of what we've made it. All right, so that's what, that sort of took us along those lines of relationships. And I want to talk to you a bit, a bit about this. We're going to look at relationships and we're going to talk about the way we relate to one another, but maybe the biggest test for that is marriage. And if you get it right in marriage, then that can fall, flow over into other people. But it's certainly not limited to marriage. But we start out with some of the best advice around, of course, and this is, we, this, this is some of them. And these have been collected over the years. We, in fact, I remember doing this at a camp once, and these were the sorts of things that were written down. So these are some of the advice. Think of others before yourself. Love is a doing word. Uh, love your neighbour as yourself. Be quick to listen, slow to talk. Uh, never go to bed angry. Say sorry, be quick to forgive. Patience is a virtue. Do you remember that, please? Um, think before you speak. Is anyone here like that? <laughs> um, have a servant's heart. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Respect. And there's plenty of others, you know, there's a lot of those. Um, but that, that's not in any particular order. And I was sort of wondering, which are the best ones? Which for you, which out of that little lot you would say, oh, that's important for me, I need to sort of get that one right rather than any others? Any? Thank you before you speak for Harry. Isn't it amazing? You would never think that would be, be Harry's problem, but maybe, maybe it is because you do think before you speak. <laughs> that might be true. That's true. Any others? That is, we're going to talk more about that today, actually. So, any others? Whichever you find the most challenging. Yes. You know one that's, that sticks out in me that I should work at? No, never go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That would be great advice. If you could stick with that, you'd be right, wouldn't you? That would be one of those good ones. All right, let's keep going. We're going to take a slightly different tack, uh, Mermy, review a few old skills, do those sorts of things, some scriptures that... They, these might be slightly out of context, these scriptures, but they nonetheless give us an idea that God is, has, has this real desire for him to communicate with us and for us to communicate with one another. Amos 3.1. This is the one we're going to spend most of our time on today. In the Amplified Bible, it says this. The two walk together except that they make an appointment and have agreed. The make an appointment is added into the Amplified Bible. So how can two people work together unless they are agreed? And in the Amplified Bible, it says, unless they make an appointment and have agreed. All right, so that was a series of rhetorical questions that God was asking Israel. If you look it up, that's what's going on. And so they didn't need an answer, and it's pretty obvious. That's, of course, unless you actually get together and work things out, then it is pretty hard to do. Second one is, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Another one is Philippians 4, verse 2 and 3. I plead with to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my size in the cause of the gospel. So he's saying to us, isn't he, that these people are having trouble with one another, so we want them to get to be of the same mind, and in fact, I want you to go and help them, please. I want you to sort of get together with them somehow and, and walk them through it a bit, to, to be facilitators in making this a bit better. Ephesians 4, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Proverbs 27, 7, this 17, this is always a good one, I always like that. As iron sharpens iron, so man, one man sharpens another. You know, those sorts of things where obviously communication is going to be the key one. Right, the question is, if two are going to walk together, how do you actually become agreed? Now, this is what happened. I went to a counselling conference by a new New Zealand bloke called David Riddell. Anyone heard of him? Not come across any of... 
Well, I shouldn't have even mentioned him. I should have just said, this is all my stuff. <laughs> and you would have been particularly impressed. All right, so he, his argument goes along these lines. He says, how can two people walk together unless they be agreed? And how can they be agreed unless they can negotiate? And how can they negotiate unless they know what they want and how to make a proposition? All right, you follow that? That's okay at the moment. I really like this bloke because he says things in a particularly interesting sort of a way and then he makes definitions that are, they say capture you. They're a little bit like the Bible verse that captures you. Some of these definitions really capture you. All right, negotiation, he said, is the king of the life skills. As soon as I thought that, I thought, oh, surely he's overstating it. Surely he's overstating it. Isn't that... Would you think that yourselves? Think it's a bit overstated? The king of the life skills. The ability to negotiate. When you think about it, though, it's not all that wrong. It's actually one of those things that if you can actually come and negotiate with people, then that is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And he goes on to say trust is the queen of the life skills. His definition of trust is the ability to accurately predict what the other person's going to do. It's not always a positive, it's sometimes a negative. And so if you can accurately predict how someone's going to react, then you can trust them. You can trust them to react the way that you can predict. And so he goes on and says that. Negotiation the king, trust is the queen. Either end of that spectrum, he says, is timid subjugation, you know, you're in bondage to someone, or verdict delivery. Now, I like that verdict delivery. He says, if you're a verdict delivery, you've got to stop. That's no good. That's no good walking in the room and saying, we're going to do it this way, at this time, at this place. That's no good. You've got to actually give some room in order for the other people to have some sort of an input. You can be, and you'd recognise, there'll be a few people here, I'm looking around at a few people who just could well be verdict deliverers. You come in and say, that's it, no argument, no discussion. Terrible. But you wouldn't want to be in bondage to anyone either. All right, we need to step somewhere in the middle of that. And he comes up with what he calls a truth coach. And he says that everything is propositional. Most things are negotiable. Now, some things are unnegotiable, aren't they? You just can't... I mean, if I asked Anne to sleep out in the middle of one of the Ballarat winter nights, probably not negotiable. Even though I might be able to make a good proposition of it and say, why don't you just go and sleep in the chook house tonight? Now, there's a fair chance that she might not be... That might not be negotiable. All right, so there's a lot of things that aren't negotiable, but you still can have a proposition in most sort of cases. Now, we're talking... That's a bit light, of course. There's many other things. In other words, what he's saying is no matter what's put on the table, you always give the other person permission and opportunity to comment, propose an alternative, make an adjustment, or tweak it a bit. You know, there's always that opportunity there and he's always understood that that opportunity is there. All right, otherwise, and this so happens so often, we end up in what he calls pretend agreements. Now, this is one of those things that I just really love his definition of. But a pretend agreement is an agreement that we don't really agree to. We might look like we agree, we might say we agree, but deep in our hearts, you, you're laughing because you just made one. Or poor old, poor old <laughs> Russell made one with you. And we haven't really agreed. Because we haven't had our say... We might not be 100% honest, we might have felt a bit bullied, we might have felt a bit powerless to contribute or flattered or something along those lines. I remember I played for North Albury a couple, for a couple of years, okay? The second year I knew I shouldn't have gone back because it was just too difficult to try from Corriong. You know, it took an hour and a half to get to training and then an hour and a half to get home again and it was just, it was just too demanding, really. 
but they flattered me into it. They flattered me into it. And in fact, I knew that this was a, what you'd call up there a pretend agreement. I wish I'd have known that at that stage because for the short-term gain of getting them off of me back, I said yes for this long-term pain of a season of, of just really grind. The same thing with the, the final job that I had at Wendery Secondary College, the same sort of thing. You end up flattered into it and knew that it was just a grind afterwards. You just don't want to get into those sorts of situations. In a print-end agreement, one of you has their own way at the expense of the other. And in fact, it's in so often lead to, lead to undermining the relationship. And so you end up with a relationship that really is you know, in a little bit of strife. Worst thing, of course, in, especially in marriage, but in any sort of relationship, you lose the balance of power. There's got to be a balance of power. And in fact, one of you might have to give a bit of power to the others. The other one might have to take a bit of power from the other one. So that's the sort of thing that it's really vital to keep that. This is what this fellow was talking about and saying, which I really like. Works with anyone, any relationship, but probably gets the most testing in a close relationship like marriage. And in fact, almost always, anger, disputes, arguments indicate a pretend agreement somewhere. And he goes on and he says, so stop fighting, start negotiating. In other words, to confer with one another with a view to coming to an agreement. Bargain, discuss, talk, settle, cooperate, all those sorts of things. This is what you do. So you sit down and you work those sort of things out. That can happen in work, can happen definitely in marriage, but in lots of situations you can just make an appointment and get to work and start talking about it. Speaking the truth in love, got to have both oars in the water at the same time. Truth can be really, really cold and cruel and love is often sort of soft and encourages codependence as well. You don't want to don't go either of those, you've got to have both, both oars in the water. That's a really quite a critical thing. All right, immediately I do that, I think there's a few problems. First problem is this. Far easier if both of you have got on board and understand the process, but it's still a really good process even if you're not. So if someone comes in with a verdict and says, Reg comes into me and says, listen, I, you know, I don't want you to stay in our room because uh, you don't want to paint at all, and I say, well, that's a good, good suggestion, Reg, maybe if I can help you paint it, or something like that. You, know, you can always make a bit of a comeback. You can come back and say something in all sorts of circumstances. Um, secondly, it's easy to get, is it easier, to, this is a good question, is it easier to get a quiet person to speak um, than it is to get a fluent talker to stop talking and listen? Now, the responsibility falls on both parties, but primarily the quiet need to speak and the garrulous need to deliberately stop and encourage and then listen. Right, let's have a little vote. Is it easier to get a quiet person to speak or is it, uh, is it easy to get a garrulous person to stop speaking? Quiet person to speak, easier. Garrulous to stop speaking. Oh, I'm with the quiet people. I reckon it's near impossible to get these garrulous people to stop speaking. You know, we said last week, we said it's, a, it's actually an insult. It's against the Lord's, uh, against the Bible to interrupt a person. You're actually insulting them. Sometimes it'd take a week before you got a word in for some people who speak like that. But I do really think, I mean, the truth of it is Anne and I, we, when we got married, she was way at that end of the, of the um, spectrum of extrovert and I was right down that end of the spectrum of introvert and we gradually came together. My experience says this, it's far, far harder to get someone who's a talker to stop talking than it is for a quiet person <laughs> to start talking. In fact, I, I still think that the quiet people, they need to be able to find their voice somehow. 
And that's harder for, than it is to the, the garrulous people to stop talking. I had a wife who just was wonderful in drawing that out. Righto. Sometimes the other problem is, quite honestly, I'd rather have a Barney than restore the peace. And so it doesn't always work. You know, every now and again, a good Barney couldn't be better. Best way to spend your day. <laughs> now, we've watched a few people. We've watched some people, especially in marriages. I, I, this is really terrible. We, we, there was a marriage in, in uh, Koryong and again in Bunningong that dissolved simply because they stopped talking. And for, to, the, to apparent, you only knew about this afterwards, but apparently the, to the outside when they came to visit and all that sort of stuff, lovely people, nicest people. In fact, we knew this because Anne taught one of their kids and I taught the other one of their kids. And this went on for a number of years. And gradually, for whatever reason, they stopped talking and they couldn't start talking. And they, they just disappeared. They, their marriage just disappeared. And finally she left and took the kids with her. Just so easy to do. I've got a friend, and he would have been our best friends. These people would have been our best friends. And he was so articulate and so good at talking that that destroyed the marriage in the end. And when it came to discussing things, he could just put all the words together and he just, um, just floored her with all of the technique and the wonderfulness and the, and the biblical knowledge and all of that sort of stuff, and she was just destroyed. She just couldn't stay there and, and talk about it. All right. This is the way we do it, the way we do it. <laughs> yeah, all right, so I'll tell you this. Anne and I decided, and this sort of came from another friend, who they used to have horses, and they had this little sort of garden box out the back of their house. In my mind, I can see it, but it won't mean much to you. And they used to take a glass of wine there and sit down there, and the horses would come over and talk to them, and they'd feed the horses. And that was their time when they had made the appointment and they could talk about anything that they chose to, that had happened over the last week. Anne and I decided to do this on a Friday morning. So we'd get up, we wouldn't get up, we'd stay in bed. That was the biggest problem because we were sitting next to one another and we couldn't end up with stiff necks looking at one another when you're talking. <laughs> and we'd, start, and we'd, we'd made this decision that we are not going to get upset with one another. We're going to leave it to Friday morning. And then all of the heat will be out of it. We don't, won't be a problem at all. We'll just leave all that. And on Friday morning, we can just be quite clinical and straight about it, okay? I had a huge advantage in this because Anne, as soon as she gets cranky, she forgets about it in 20 minutes. So by the time Friday morning came, she had nothing to say, but I had plenty to say. <laughs> so it was a real advantage. But we did this for a number of occasions, and, and we started doing it, and probably by the end of the third week, we had nothing to say. Isn't that lovely? It's at the end of the third week, there was nothing to say. And the, end of the next week, there was nothing to say. And the next week, there was nothing to say. And so it had actually worked. All those things you stored up that you wanted to say, you didn't have to say it. And then, further down the track, we'd just say to one another, well, we need a Friday morning talk. Let's have it now. And so, but even though it was Tuesday afternoon, we were having a Friday morning talk. We had to adjust the calendar a bit after that, but that was all right. It worked. So that's the sort of thing that we, we try to do. We make an appointment and then we try and work it through. So, so it boils down to this. Somehow, somehow in all your relationships, no matter what is put on the table, you always give the other person permission and opportunity and almost demand it of them and give them time to work it out. If, if someone hasn't found their voice or need another day to think about it or to come back at you, you need to demand it of them to, to make that sort of thing happen. 
and to propose an alternative, make an adjustment, tweak it a bit, so that you can walk together and agreed and not live in those sort of pretend agreements. Let's pray together. Lord, just as we look at uh, relationships like that, we, we understand that um, it is without question your desire for us to get on. And, uh, even, even that passage out of uh, Ephesians with those two ladies who just can't get on, your desire for us is to you know, come together in some way in order to be able to work it out so that we can live together and walk together in peace. I just pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied and we wouldn't just let it creep in, like I was talking with Sammy, about just let creep it in and, and not deal with it. May we just be willing to go about dealing with it and to be able to speak the truth in love with, with, with both oars in the water. So, Lord, I, I suppose our prayer this morning is this, that you just might be able to um, prompt in our hearts anything that we might need to deal with. And maybe there's a lot to deal with, but just those bits at a time, the most important ones, Lord. May we be people who, when we read the Bible, don't read it just for knowledge, but read it to see whether our lives line up with what you're talking about. To that end, Lord, we want to commit ourselves. On behalf of this church, I want to commit this church to that, so that in the end we can truly be men and women after God's heart. You know, men and women who, who really like the idea that your presence is the most important thing to us. So to that end, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And from that point of view, you know, we have a real degree of confidence. Amen.